podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. burdened by excess weight and lack of energy? Are nagging thoughts causing you stress, anxiety, or worry? Are your surroundings disorganized, chaotic, and out of balance? There is a direct correlation between the burdens, negative thoughts, and disorganization in our lives and how they reveal themselves through our home, our health, and our happiness. Home refers to our environment, which has a profound impact on us. Health refers to our physical body, and happiness is the measure of our emotions and mental attitude. It's never too hard, and it's never too late. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Barbara Badolati. Barbara is a sought-after speaker, mentor, and coach in the arena of health, wellness, and mindfulness. She was a pioneer in the field of corporate wellness, founding her company Alive and Well in 1986. This included developing and teaching mind-body programs, opening several yoga studios, and coaching thousands in personal growth and well-being. Barbara now provides her 30-plus years of business savvy to health coaches just getting started, consulting executives in mindful leadership, and sharing her blissful way of being to uplift others and make the world a better place. Here is the interview with Barbara Badolati. In your own words, who is Barbara Badolati? Ah, thank you, Valera. I consider myself to be someone that's very dedicated to being the best that I can be. Uh, I believe that who I am in the world is really my greatest contribution. And so dedicating myself, my everyday authentic self, and really being mindful and paying attention to to my beingness, right? My integrity and keeping my word and being kind and paying attention to when things don't go my way and what I can do to choose differently, whether it's my thoughts or my actions. So all of that kind of goes into who I am and also living my values to to be respectful and honor people and honor the planet and personally, interpersonally, spiritually, we're all on this journey And so to really honor that and to continue to contribute and expand. Yeah, and I've I've devoted my whole adult life to well-being for myself and others. And I love nature. um, I love adventure. Not bungee jumping adventure, but just, just, just nudging myself enough so that I can continue to grow. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. How would you describe or define um, well-being or just being? Oh, that's a great question. So the being for me is who we are and well-being can be tools and actions and steps that we take towards our wellness. And again, it's everything. It's our feelings, our thoughts, our personal and interpersonal relationships, our physical bodies. So I, I think of wellness and well-being are all of those areas that we're continuing to be healthy in. 
and and being is more of who we are versus the doing. Mm, yeah, right. Before we begin to talk about bliss, balance, self-care, and the connection between physical, emotional, and mental health, I have a few general questions for you. What is your main inspiration to be a good person, to do good in the world? Well, I think one, it was infused from my mother. (laughs) I mean, I just really, it was interesting where I grew up and we were, she was a single mom and, um, I have four siblings and we just really had to be aware of our surroundings and we lived in a very affluent neighborhood as well. And so I think she she really instilled that we're all the same. Uh, I remember there was a, a couple that she knew and I always thought they had everything. They had the nice house. They went on vacations all the time. They had all the things that I thought we we should have had. And then she told me that um, that this woman had lost her child stillbirth. And I think I was maybe twelve, so I was I was old enough to understand what that meant. But then I was also still innocent and young enough to to not realize that we all have our trials and tribulations, and us being kind and good and accepting of one another and releasing judgment and so on. I think that that was really influenced my entire childhood. And then I continue to practice that as much as possible. Wow. Yeah. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? Again, I think it's acceptance. We're all different, but we're all the same. And so judgment creates separation and uh, and thinking that we're different. And so I know when I hit up against somebody who I don't like or is not doing things the way I want them to do them or the way I think they should or the way they're not behaving or all of that is a judgment. And it really is, again, those four fingers pointing back um, or the three fingers pointing back while you're pointing the one index out finger out. And so for me, I really think that being aware of our own biases and judgments and so on and coming from a place of compassion and understanding so that we can open up the communication and the acceptance to one another so that we can move forward. Wow. That comes to mind a question that I often ask others and myself. How do we learn to accept what we perceive to be horrible and bad? Yeah, I have a wonderful friend and I I was having an experience a couple days ago with some people. And so I was talking to her and she said, don't you think that everything still all comes from love or God or like it all still originates? And I said, yeah, that is my belief. So I would say that's the ground zero. It all still comes, everything, even the contrast and the challenges still originate from love. And my belief is, is that that life force or love is always wanting to expand and it needs contrast. It needs friction. It needs tension to be able to, just like the blades of grass pushing through the earth or the flowers pushing through the earth, there's some effort to that. That life force is pushing through to get to that sunshine and being watered and all of those things. So yeah, it's kind of like there is some challenges and effort being being kind of moved through so it can continue to grow and expand. And that's what we're doing too. You mentioned the word God. Where and what is God to you? Yeah. I mean, isn't that such a charged I mean... It's so interesting because everybody uses perhaps a different name, but it's language that can really, again, cause separation. So I think that God is just the word. And when we go deeper into our knowing, we all have a name for that, even if we're an atheist or, you know, again, that's a label, right? It's a separation of how we can be, quote, different. But that's their truth. That is their belief. That is where they resonate. They meaning whom, whatever name or whatever you, you place on that, the connection to who you really are on a very deep level. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Well, I always said love in motion. 
or energy in motion. I always, I don't know, I, I, mean, I always said that as a very, very young person. Um, and again, I've really devoted myself to being a living example of that as much as possible. And I know, and I have just as many emotions and things going wrong as anybody else, so to speak, different varying. But really, truly to be a living model as much as possible of being healthy and mind, body, and spirit. And I've had lots of opportunities to <laughs> to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> do you think that life um, has a purpose itself? Or what is the purpose of life, the experience in the human body? Boy, there's everything from our soul's journey and how we incarnated and and maybe the 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 place and the people that we were born there. So there's that. There's also for us to be an expression of, of life itself in all of our unique traits and characters and characteristics and so on. So there's that uh, perspective. Uh, but I do think that a lot of people ask that, like, what is their purpose or why are they here? What's the purpose of life? And I think even more so now than maybe any other time in history, but I think it's always been a question. Yeah. yeah. So true. <laughs> to be explored, right? Great to talk about these things. So let's talk about bliss. Um, you speak of bliss a lot on your website, blog. What is bliss to you and how do we connect with bliss? Well, bliss to me is something that is already within you. It's that really juicy joy. It's, which is great because that's your whole thing too is joy. And so, uh, but like Joseph Campbell said towards the end of his life, who coined the phrase, follow your bliss, just follow your path, follow your joy, follow what lights you up, follow what your purpose is. Fo you know, that's all those components of what we call or term again, bliss. And yet he was also saying, I should have said, follow your blisters. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Because <laughs> I also believe, I mean, people sometimes think, oh, wow, you're always so positive and joyful and everything. And there are many times where I am not blissful in, in the sense of the word. And yet it's those blisters and finding a way to be grateful or joyful or having a perspective while you're in the middle of the muck while things are not going well, while that person pisses you off, while all of those, or while you're again, feeling separate from another person or another situation, or, you know, having a horrible time with maybe how the planet is or, or, you know, anything that causes friction, but going into that deeper place of bliss. So for me, I have to, 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 in order to maintain that is to one, be very mindful of my thoughts and my actions and so on. Also to stay with, I call them bliss rituals. So my morning rituals, my, my midday checking in with myself. And then of course, ending the day or the evening with another set of rituals so that I can stay connected with that grateful, joyful place that's, that lives within me, lives within all of us. It's just accessing it. So it's kind of like, right? It's like the practical earth aspect of this etherical nature that we all have within us. It's a really, it's a blend. Right, right, right. And hard to describe a lot of times, right? I'm using words. And we've, I'm going to interrupt just a little bit because we've all had that feeling. And we've all had that ecstatic space of uh, joyfulness. Uh, it could have been in a moment or it could have been in a period of time with a certain activity or maybe we were with someone or maybe. So we all have had, we've all tapped into joy or bliss. Yeah, so true. I like the idea that we can um, follow our bliss But also, we should be open to lose it and then find it again, <laughs> almost as a, as a play, be more playful with life and open to change. The flow of life is its change. Yeah, and it's really important to flow with life because life doesn't always go life, quote, doesn't always go our way, the way that we perceive it should or have been conditioned to think that it should. 
or comparing ourselves with other people. And so there's a lot of things that take us away from our true self. Right, right. What is the difference between being calm and being peaceful? The interesting thing about all these questions, which I love so much, is it really is up to the person. Like you and I can have this conversation and I can share little tidbits. And I would encourage your listeners to really ask themselves that. What is what is calmness and what is peace? Maybe they're interchangeable. Maybe one is feeling calm by petting your cat. So that would be maybe an action or petting your dog or something. And maybe peacefulness is a sense of knowing that all is well, that you're sick, that you can maybe walk in nature and just feel connected. So I would kind of describe that like calmness is a feeling and maybe peacefulness is a sense. Would you say that being calm requires external methods and being peaceful doesn't? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I like that. I would say uh, everybody try that on. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and I, this morning, this was a really interesting, this kind of also uh, dovetails into mindfulness because even this morning, and I think this is just because I've been practicing it for a, 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 quite a while, in time and space, but I was filling um, my glass with water. And I remember just standing there and my mind thought, wow, I am so fortunate that I have access to water in the warmth of my home and it's clean and it's readily available. And I'm, and thank you. And to me, I, I was able to actually observe myself being mindful and being grateful and feeling that beingness while I was doing the glass, filling my glass of water. Right. So that to me was like, wow, this is, this is, and this is, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate that I can live my life that way a lot of the time. Wow. I love that, Barbara. The connection between gratitude and being and doing, because it's all now you're connecting, being, doing, but um, you're also bringing up the simple things, the, the the most simple things in life that we, when we are grateful for, then there's, you call mindfulness or, or being just sets in. Yeah. And then you're that peacefulness and that calmness and everything else starts to snowball from that. And I would say, once again, I'm very much about people exploring for themselves. And so just having those little teeny things, like you said, something we take so for granted, like having access to water, like I can turn a knob and there is water. I can even change the temperature. I mean, think about it. There's so many people that don't have that. I mean, they have to go get their water. But so again, gratitude, and then it connects you with God or your true self or gratitude or right. And then that can help to calm you down, calm the nervous system down. And so it has a physiological effect on us. And then that can ripple out to the people that we meet in the, in our day. Right. So it's just, it's just, it can go in so many different directions. So true. And we can go even more fundamental, like breathing, being grateful for the breath, for each breath we take. Yeah. And even the awareness of the temperature of the breath. Mm, yeah. And the more that we practice those little subtle awarenesses, then again, that will carry over into other areas of our lives. You mentioned mindfulness. Can you explain to us the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Mindfulness for me is awareness of your surroundings, your actions, your thoughts, and perhaps choosing differently if where you're at is not serving you or the planet or your situation. Meditation for me is allowing your mind to do its thing, you know, be its monkey mind, or like I sometimes think it's a puppy, it's kind of running all over the place and chewing on furniture and wanting to be petted and barking and all kinds of things, right? So one is just letting your mind do its thing. 
And then with practice, what I have found, it took me many years, is that my mind finally, like a puppy, was done playing and acting out and running around and peeing on the floor. <laughs> like it's fine, you know, it finally just settled down. And then I was able to connect to uh, my spirit, to a really a, like love. I can't explain it. People have different experiences with meditation and there's so many different to meditating. Just like I use the example of filling a glass of water being a mindful, a mindful practice. So I believe one is more of a practice of awareness and the other is a letting go and just connecting with your with your source what is love to you oh that's to me is like the epitome of bliss um that because that bliss that love always exists in some degree or another in all life forms and we're created from a life form of love uh and we may have felt love in varying degrees uh different times throughout our lives uh, it could be in a f- deep affection with a significant other or our friends or even a pet or something. Um, we can have a, a sense of love towards humanity or nature or we love a hobby or our soul's purpose or a higher power. It could be a physical sensation of love, um, expanding the heart center. Uh, so there's a lot, I mean, there's so many definitions of of love. And to me, that's many of them that I would describe. Do you believe in unconditional love? It's, I, it's interesting. I don't have any children, any biological children. So I have not had that experience. I do know that when I'm either meditating or in nature, I, or, or sometimes with a, with a, a, a child or a, or an animal or something, sometimes I will feel that connection where there isn't any kind of separation or or labeling or again it's that deep place that we all come from so yeah i would say that maybe that's unconditional love where again we're not judging or asking or manipulating or wanting something from that other life force yeah that's another good question what about unconditional love for ourselves I would like I would like to believe so. I would I mean I really do believe that the again it goes back to your very first question like who is Barbara Badalotti and being the best that I can. And so when when I go to do my evening practice and I'm really tired and I don't maybe feel like doing whatever, I don't do it because I have to do it. I do it because it does bring me to that place of loving and accepting myself no matter what the human form is and, uh, and, and how good I feel when I have those practices. So yeah, I do believe that if I don't start there, then I'm not going to be able to really be loving and uh, accepting of other people or, or the situations as well. Right, or life itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talk about intuition. So I'm curious to know the difference between intuition and beliefs. Yeah, right. Because the beliefs are probably in your head. They're, a belief is something that you've thought enough. You know, it's been a thought that you've thought long enough that now it's belief or you were told something long enough times that you believed it. And so dismantling those beliefs and really making sure that you that they still are appropriate for you. So it's a very head thing. Intuition is more, um, it's in the solar plexus if you want to look at the chakras, but also it's a knowing. It's a knowing without knowing how you know, but somehow you know. Right? <laughs> so, somehow you know. Yeah. No. So that's the distinction I would say for those two. And I would say, especially in the Western world, listening and developing your intuitive muscle is something that, and again, just like looking and listening and observing your thoughts, your beliefs, and seeing if they still are true for you. Those are both muscles, if you will, that you or I can continue to strengthen. And so once again, 
sometimes I will literally say, all right, what are you picking up on? Because something doesn't feel right. So intuitively, I'm picking up on something and it doesn't make sense in my head, but that's okay because I'm learned to trust that and practice that intuitive muscle more. And sometimes I may get a nudge or something where don't turn there, take the next block and turn at the next street. And I don't even question because I don't know what maybe it prevented me from versus just where it's taking me. So there's also that part of intuition. And then there's also blending it sometimes with the thoughts to say, is this a thought that I'm thinking? Or is this an intuitive nudge? But I think that more what I know is the more that I have strengthened that, the more I can discern which is which. And they both serve me. And sometimes they even play together. Right. I would like to understand more about beliefs. Is it possible to live without fixed beliefs? Wow, that's a good question. I want to throw it back to you. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all experts, right? We we all have our own expertise of of what we believe and what we know, what our experiences have been. That's a good question. Ask me again. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I guess I'm asking because I'm not sure if it's possible to live without those beliefs that you mentioned from childhood, what we have been taught, society, people around us, our husbands, wives. Is it possible to just be open enough where we are always believing something and at the same time letting them go? Yeah, I I wonder if it could be something where if something doesn't feel right, or if things aren't working the way we want them to, or we're really frustrated with a certain person, whatever the situation is, if that's an opportunity for us to check in and say, am I thinking something about this? Uh, A friend of mine was doing a tour bus operation, and she was just trying to find some work. So she ended up doing that. And she said, you know, here I am a bus driver. And I, and I said, oh, well, what is it about bus drivers that's causing you distress, right? So I think anytime that something comes up for us, it's an opportunity for us to say, hmm, is that something that's a belief that I need to explore and and examine and see what it is that's, again, maybe a judgment or something that that is from a past experience or... Because once again, the more that we can clean it up, and now there's so many tools that we have NLP and EFT and all kinds of wonderful tools that can help us to evolve and to clear and clean up any past beliefs um, or traumas or anything. I mean, there's so many things now that can help clear that up. So once you're aware, so I think you're. I think that's a good question to, for, that you ask. Uh, for all of us to explore that and just say, I wonder if we can ever get to a point of zero. And that's what meditation does for me. It, get, it puts me in a place where I'm at point zero so that I really have the spaciousness and the emptiness to be, to suspend those beliefs. It's really freeing. It's very, very liberating. Yeah, right. So maybe one of the impediments to bliss and joy might be those unchecked beliefs. It might be rooted in there. We don't know. Like you said, there are so many methods that could help us to clear. But that might be a way to know, like, why am am I not joyful, happy right now? That might be a sign. Yes. Yes, because you're, for me, I believe everybody's true nature is to be blissful. I mean, if you look at little children, they're they're very joyful, even again, animals and so on. And everything has has a harmony. So for me, I love that sense of joy. And when I start to get a few degrees off of it, again, because I've developed those muscles to say, okay, I can pay attention. I can do something. Maybe I turn off my phone right now, or maybe I take some nice deep breaths, or maybe I revisit this and see what's going on, or maybe I need to get out of the room right now. Like, what do I need to do before this explodes or gets worse? And bring myself back to that place of gratitude and joy and 
and appreciation and love. And again, that's so important for all of us, not just for our own internal experience, but to be able to put that out into the world. Yes, I agree, Barbara. Do you think that the opposite of self-love is self-doubt? So, yeah, or any of that, right? Um, criticism, all of that can be. And again, I think it's separation from ourselves. We were not born that way. When we were born, we just thought we were the center of the world. We didn't look at our chubby thighs and have a <laughs> criticism of us. We didn't feel like we you know, have to be doing something better that we weren't in. I mean, infants don't come into, we don't come into the world. Like, so our true nature is that we just have a lot of layers that will put on us day after day, year after year from so many different, you know, people and situations and circumstances and so on. And so, yeah, I think that uncovering that and and connecting with who we really are is so vital again for ourselves. Oh, it's the world. And it's, it, it can be done. Yeah, it can be done. It can be done. Right. Yeah. Um, you talk about authenticity. I would like to know, how do we know when we are being authentic and not just confident? And I just wanted to piggyback onto the last question too, that kindness and, so, and self-compassion Mm, And gentleness is is some of the ways that we can connect with our true self again. Um, So our authentic self, which dovetails into that, our authentic self is discovering who we are and being okay with that and being okay with expressing that into the world, which again can be very challenging for, I mean, there might be anxiety just from me saying that, right? So it's, it, it's a, we're work, we're work in progress. We're probably never going to get to the end, so to speak. It's just always a, a we're, we're just always in process and on a journey. And that's where the kindness and the compassion come into play and we do a little bit better the next day and so on. So, uh, but it's much easier to be our authentic selves than it is to, it takes more energy to mask than it is to be our, to be okay with ourselves. And the other is that everybody's in their own world anyway. So nobody really cares about you anyway. They're, everybody else is trying to just figure themselves out and Right. And so I was kind of like, I'm not going to make everybody happy. And that's not really my job. My job is to be my true self. And when I go to bed at night, knowing that I, I was that, and I did the best that I could with who I am at this point in time in my, in my evolution. Wow. I guess my next question is about anxiety and stress for people who are not, let's say, there yet with this deeper understanding about what life is and who they are. What would you say are the best methods to prevent or reduce stress and anxiety? One is awareness. Everything begins with awareness. And I think it was Deepak Chopra. I have so many wonderful, I mean, mindfulness, John Kabat-Zinn. There's so many wonderful teachers that I've learned from, Louise Hay. And I think it was Deepak that said, when we move into anxiety or feeling anxious, it's because we're thinking too much in our future. Just like depression can be that we're we're thinking or reminiscing too much about our past. And so I think awareness of like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Okay, good. I'm tuning into how I'm feeling. Great. I'm aware that I'm feeling that and I'm feeling it emotionally and I'm actually feeling it physically. Okay. So what is it maybe that I'm either thinking about that's causing this trigger Is there anything physiologically for my nervous system? Oh, yeah, I could breathe through my nostrils. That's going to elicit the parasympathetic nervous system. That's going to already start to calm me down. Is there anything I could do in my environment um, to help to soothe me? Is there any, you know, so there's, again, lots of different tools. So awareness is the key. And then using that awareness with a few little action steps, even breathing, to help to center yourself again and bring yourself into this moment because this is the only moment that you can do anything with anyway. Um, So that would be my guidance. Mm. 
You talk about alternative healing, self-exploration, and transformation as, as some of the methods to achieve well-being. What is to transform? Is that a destination? Yeah, to transform, to become the next thing. Yeah, to, to take that and transform it. One of the tools I use is I call it magical metaphors. And um, so when I have clients, I they might feel anxiety and I say, well, what is describe it to me like I don't I've never had anxiety before imagine I'm not, I don't know what that is and they'll describe it in a metaphor so I had one gentleman who said it feels like a bunch of brown moths in my stomach just fluttering around and trying to get out and I said if you could magically transform that what would you let those moths be become transform what would they what Tell you know, and so he used his imagination, which is a very powerful tool, which is again looking out into the future, imagining right. We causes anxiety, a, a feeling of anxiety, and so he ended up transforming the moths into butterflies. And then I said, "Do you want to keep the butterflies there? What do you want to do with them?" And he said, "No, I actually don't want them in my stomach. I think I'll just let them fly out of my mouth." I said, "Okay." <laughs> wow. And the, the beautiful thing was is that as a coach or there, you know, I mean, we're jo- our job is to empower that person. So he did that transformation all on his own and then checked in. How does your stomach feel? How's your anxiety? And he's like, it's gone. So that's an example of maybe a transformation that can happen just with a, a, an emotion like anxiety. Right. I guess I asked the question about specifically transformation, because I used to think that transforming would be to get somewhere and stay there, transformed. <laughs> and that, that never happened. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> we're always transforming from, from what I see. <laughs> yes, welcome to the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is a party. <laughs> yeah, it is a party, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, we're an ongoing evolution and we're hopefully transforming and yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we get stagnant. Another thing that came to mind, Barbara, is imagination. I talked to a lot of people about it, and some coaches, they suggest that we imagine the future in order to get there ourselves as uh, whatever it is, an ideal self. And, and that kind of contradicts the idea of being in the moment and just being here now and what if the imagination that you decided to do the visualization or whatever was in the moment? So in the moment, you're, the thing that you're experiencing or doing or is, is imagining you know, paving out your future or imagining, and again, moving that into how would that feel? I always tell people, it's kind of like trying on jeans, right? You're imagining like, but you're also trying on the jeans. Oh, this doesn't really feel right. Okay, let me try another pair. So, but you're doing that in the moment of the now, right? It's not like you're imagining your future and you're also typing up questions for your podcast interview, right? So yeah, so I think you can do, I think you can imagine your future and practice that muscle because that is important because we are creating creating our future in in the now by what we're thinking and imagining and the actions we're taking. So yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does very much when it comes to imagining being better people and all that. I guess it doesn't make sense to me when it's imagining, let's say, life after death, what will heaven be like or my next reincarnation and all that. Yeah, when it comes to that, I just, I I prefer not to imagine. That's the mystery. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me about digital detox. Oh, right. I know. This is so important in our technology world here. Um, I, I just, I think that 
uh, a balance of connecting with ourselves happens when we can uh, have a digital detox where we just turn our devices off. So whether people do that for a day, maybe even every couple months, or even an hour, I, I mean, for me, I shut down at a certain time at night so that I can move into a good hour of a practice that connects me with myself. It's a little bit of yoga stretch. It's a meditation. It might be some journaling. Sometimes I'll I'll read or I'll do some visualization or yeah. So sometimes I'll pull out an Oracle card or, you know, just different things that help me to reconnect with myself. And it's a nice balance. I actually enjoy it. I'm of course of a different demographic, but, um, but yeah, I think it's really important. Plus the electric magnetic field, uh, the EMFs that are coming off of our electronics, it's really important that we turn all those things off, go into airplane mode and not have that constant interference with our brain and our, our physiological chemistry. So there's that reason too. That makes me think about silence, which is one of the things we talk about as well, the importance of silence for well-being. Do you practice being silent every day? I would encourage everybody to turn off any music and maybe not talk on their phone while they're driving for even, again, this could take a little bit of an adjustment because people are so used to having sound in their car or being on their phones and so on. And I'm just as guilty of it. Uh, and I do find though that when I, when I do turn off all of that, that's really helpful. One, because it gives me an opportunity to find out what am I thinking? What, like paying attention to what I'm thinking. I can't because I'm still thinking while I'm listening to music or talking to someone. So that's all active. The other thing too is that I've had the pleasure of having, I lived on Lake Michigan several times where the ice would form on the water. And so it would be still, it would be silent. I can't even explain how that sounds, but maybe if anybody's ever had their electricity go out and their refrigerator stops humming and everything shuts down and it's quiet, that would be another experience of silence. And so embrace it. If it happens or you can create a way or you can go on a retreat or something, um, but then there's sometimes still sounds in nature, but still anytime that you can have that sense of quietude, so nurturing and so profound. Uh, it just might take a little bit of practice. I've also done silent retreats and I've also, I, I usually eat in silence if possible. No reading, no TV, no, yeah, not all the time, but it's a good practice. And it is. Um, I have a silly question. What is your silent record? <laughs> An hour, two, three days? <laughs> oh, how long I've ever gone? <laughs> yeah. I think that was a three-day silent retreat, which drove me nuts the first couple of, t yeah, for several hours. But I, everybody was, you know, it's kind of caused anxiety and agitation. And then after a while, but by, by the end of it, you, I mean, I craved it. So... Uh, it reminds me too, I um, lived in a country where Sundays, nothing was open, no grocery stores, no nothing. And um, when I first moved there, it was, it was very difficult for me because I was used to living in the US where everything was open seven days a week, 24 seven. And so it took me a while. And when I moved back to the States, I really missed not having a day where, you know, a, a Sabbath. And so I still practice that maybe once a month where there's one day where I don't go anywhere, I don't do anything, I let myself just do whatever feels right. So I would say whether it's three days or, you know, one day or one hour or anything, just start small so that you can start to build upon that success. Right. Do you also connect getting to this state of being, of peace with food? You talk about superfoods, plant-based diets, sleep. Yeah, food is so um, such a gift. And just even how it gets to our table is so amazing. If you think about all the steps and all the people 
that made that happen for you. And so it's really such a gift and 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 yet and also I love food so the pleasure of eating the textures and the flavors and when you combine those different foods together those create a different flavor and again that's kind of that bliss right that joyfulness and the simple things that we take for granted and so mindfully eating and tasting the food smelling it blessing it I always bless my food even if I'm in a public place I'll just kind of take a minute. I don't make a deal about it. I just send energy from my heart and just say, thank you. Thank you for this life force because food also is life. It um, created a way for them me to ingest it and also have a life because of that. So that deep, profound gratitude sends prana, that energy also into the food. So even if I'm eating something that maybe has been really processed or it's been in my refrigerator several days or something, just knowing that I'm infusing it with gratitude changes the the um, the energy of it. And again, it helps me to assimilate. It activates your digestion really starts with your mind, with your, with your thoughts. If you start to think about food, you start to salivate, which then moves into the second area of digestion, which is salivation, then into the third, which is the stomach acid. So rather than just eat, you're actually starting the whole food process of eating and ingesting by thinking. And so that type of mindfulness is vital when it comes to, no matter if you're eating fast food, it doesn't matter. You're really starting to shift your awareness of that life force that you're putting into your body. Yeah. Do you oppose to animal eating? <laughs> nope. I don't oppose, no, because everybody's got to find their way. Yeah, everybody's got to find their way. And I am not the expert of your body at all or the authority of your body. However, it is really nice to, for each one of us to decide what that is for us. And I've done, I've been vegan, I've been vegetarian, I've been, you know, I, I love fish. I mean, I, I'm all kind of all over the place. So I really tune in with myself. And again, if I'm eating anything, plant or animal, I am very grateful and bless it. For it's it's sacrificing its life for life for me. I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love the way you carry your life, the way you say it, and um, your professional life too. The gratitude factor, and also the um, uh, knowing that pretty much we all have the answers. Um, all of us within us, <laughs> it's not something that can be taught. We can guide, I guess, but never really. Yes, isn't that, I mean, that is a huge shift and that I appreciate you saying that because to me, that's the key is ourselves. Absolutely. Would you like to say anything else uh, related to the topic of your work before I begin asking you my final questions? I would just say thank you so much because your platform allows more people to maybe catch a little bliss. And if there was something that you heard, I'm speaking to the to the listener, if there was something that sparked you or you were like, oh, that's, that sounded like, I want to try that. I would say just take that one little teeny thing from the podcast and start to implement it. Because we listen to all of this information from so many different sources and it's overwhelming. So I would just say, like, just start with a little bite of bliss and see where it takes you. Mm, yeah. Um, my final questions, whatever comes to mind. How do you define success? Being true to yourself. Mm, what is to be strong? What is to be strong? Well, I think it's pretty courageous to get up every day and do your best and be true to yourself, be your authentic self. That's got to be pretty strong for that. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? Oh, God, that's a good question. Oh, my gosh, there's so many lessons. Um, again, I don't know if I would label them hard. I think my thing would be um, valuing, um, knowing my worth and valuing myself. What is another word for healing? Love. <laughs> Love. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything about your life? I would 
go. I would probably like uh, go on a bunch of vacations or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, there's so much I still want to see and do. Mm. Do you believe in life after death? I do. I do believe that we incarnate um, and we keep evolving and expanding. What if life was just it, this moment, what's happening now? And um, yeah, perhaps transforming later into something that we'll never remember. Would you be okay with that? Oh, yeah. I think that's cool. Because <laughs> we don't really know. So let's make the most of today, right? Right. What are three things about life you know for sure? I'm sure that there is an energy beyond myself that I'm sure of gratitude, of really tapping into that appreciation of all that there is and all that I am. And I would also say that we're all okay. We're all okay. All is well. It has been a wonderful conversation, Barbara, with you. Really wonderful. Oh, my God. Thank you. I loved it, too. Thank you. I thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your work, books, services, and future projects? Oh, thank you. Okay, so I have a website, of course, Barbara, B-A-R-B-A-R-A, Badalati, B-A-D-O-L-A-T-I. And I have a bliss quiz, which has got beautiful photographs and really, really profound questions, provoking questions. So I would say, jump on, take the bliss quiz and see how blissful you are. That would be, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Barbara. We'll talk soon. Yes, thanks, Valera. Have a wonderful day, everyone. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Barbara Badolati, please visit her website, www.barbarabadolati.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.